facts, candid conversations, and some levity to lighten your day. This is The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Wonderful Wednesday to you. It's May the 3rd, 2023. And so glad that you're talking to me on the show. And you can do so live and in full effect by calling 888-914-9149. We are live and in the moment here on Relevant Radio, The Kale Clark Show, 888 888- 914-9149. You can also email me. The address is kale, C-A-L-E, at relevantradio.com. And you can follow me on Twitter at Kale Clark, C-A-L-E, Clark with an E. And today's a really special day because it's the feast day of two saints, Philip and James. And they, it's really intriguing because they, 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 they each show us a different way to experience God. Philip asks a lot of questions. <laughs> he gets tested by Jesus. We all get tested by Jesus in various ways. And then James is all about action, right? He's, he's about, hey, faith is manifested through your works, through your deeds. And one deed that we all need to do a little bit more of is getting out and moving. We've got to move. We are made to move. And now that the hopefully warm weather was, is here, although I, I'm not sure it's, it hasn't been super, super warm in different parts of the country, we've got to talk about getting out there and getting walking and how we can make that an adventure. We're going to talk about that uh, later on in the program. But I don't know if you know this, for hundreds of years, for <laughs> over half a millennium, once the church got going, you know that only four apostles had feast days? I, f- I find this really hard to believe, but it's true. Peter, Paul, Andrew, and John. That was it. That was it. And then in the year 560 AD, they took the relics of St. Philip, and the relics of St. James the Lesser, and that's those are the saints whose feast day it is today, and they brought the relics to the Basilica of the Holy Apostles in Rome, put them under the main altar, and, that, and that's when they started this new feast day, which we're celebrating today, and that was commemorating this event of the relics being brought there. So how about that? I, I just find that really hard to believe that for that long, there were only four apostles that had feast days. And so both of them... Uh, Philip and James played really, really crucial roles in the growth of the church in those early decades. Philip, it is said, preached to the Scythians in what's now Russia, southern Russia, and Ukraine. And we should probably ask for his intercession for peace in that region, that's for sure. And also, apparently, he went to northern Iran. Now, James, of course, stayed in Jerusalem, and, and, and there's a lot of different James, and there's a couple different Philips as well in the New Testament. It gets a little bit confusing, but assuming it's the same guy, and I think it probably is, we're talking about the James, who was the bishop of Jerusalem. He presided over the first church council. Let's call it the Council of Jerusalem, 49 AD, and he was martyred, and, well, i got to tell you about his martyrdom later, in the year AD 62. Okay, so it's really interesting. So one of them was, of course, a missionary. The other guy was a bishop. And we all have different different paths, different vocations in the church. But the important thing is to be faithful to Jesus Christ. And so we're going to talk about the different ways that they can help us grow in our faith. And let's talk about, first of all, Philip. You're listening to The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. If you want to call in, if you have a take on this, 888-914-9149. Now, uh, Philip was from the same hometown as Peter and Andrew, the brothers, of course. And they actually met Jesus. They're all from Bethsaida, and I've been to Bethsaida. It's one of those places in the Holy Land where there's competing sites. This is the real Bethsaida. No, this is the real Bethsaida. And uh, another place is Emmaus. There's a couple different places that that vie to be the real Emmaus. We don't really know for sure, but I think I was at the real Bethsaida. 
and I met uh, the archaeologist who works on it. And they they met Peter and Andrew from Bethsaida met Jesus, and then the very next day, Philip, who was from the same town, did as well. And you can read about this in John chapter one. And here's what it says: It's starting with verse forty three. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, "Follow me." Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no guile. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You shall see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Very, very rich passage there. There's a lot of stuff going on there. And would, it, would that Jesus could say of us what he said to Nathanael, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is nothing false. A true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. That's essentially what he's saying. He's, he's really kind of doing a play on word. Jesus had a lot of puns. He, he was very humorous. People don't understand that. And that's kind of a reference to Jacob, because a Jacob, who God changed his name to Israel, one of the patriarchs, of course, um, his name really means liar or trickster, because he did trick his brother Esau out of the inheritance. And that's why Jesus says, hey, behold an Israelite in whom there's nothing false, uh, unlike Israel himself, Jacob, right? And there's a little pun there, play on words. And of course, I don't know what happened under where, when this incident under the tree happened, when, when Nathaniel was sitting under the fig tree, whether it was right before Philip called him or it was some sort of event that happened in Nathaniel's life before and something major league happened under a tree. I don't know. But Jesus said, hey, I saw you under that tree. Oh, and Nathaniel's is instantly like, wow, this, this is supernatural. And so he says, hey, you're going to see greater things than that. You're going to see the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. And of course, the Son of Man is Jesus. And that's, again, a reference to Jacob and Jacob's ladder. He had this vision where he saw this ladder, really kind of a pyramid going up to heaven. It's a ziggurat. It's a, an ancient temple with a, st- a series of steps outside that lead up to the top. And that's where you met your God in the ancient world, all these false gods, these pagan temples. Well, the real one, the real steps to heaven uh, happens through Jesus Christ. He's our, he's our way. He, he's our stairway to heaven, as it were. And so Philip really is very, very prominent right away in the gospel. One of the things we notice about Philip is that immediately, like right after he meets Jesus, he starts to evangelize. He starts to spread his faith. He goes right to Nathaniel. And Nathaniel, of course, Philip's really good at asking questions, but Nathaniel asked him the question this time, can anything, good, can, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip says, come and see, come and check it out. And we need to do the same thing, especially new Catholics. Just as Philip, he had just met Jesus, he starts spreading the word immediately. Was he fully catechized? No. Was he fully formed in the faith? No. Did he know everything? Not even close. But he still did it anyways. And, and you have to as well. I, I want to talk especially to, if you're listening to me today, on the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio, and you're a new Catholic, you were just baptized at Easter, get out there, get in the fray, your passion, your joy, your excitement over what's just happened to you, 
your glow. I mean, this is the honeymoon period of your faith life. It's contagious. You've got to be a contagious Catholic. We all have to be contagious Catholics. But maybe later on, your relationship with Jesus is going to be maybe a little bit different. It's, it's a lot like a marriage, and that's really what happens to us. We uh, Collectively, as the people of God, we become the bride of Christ. And just like in a marriage, it's going to mature, it's going to deepen, and you're going to go through stuff, just like you do in a marriage. You're, you're going to go through triumphs. You're going to go through tragedies. Your love deepens, hopefully. But the stage that you're in now, you still got to share that with people. Whatever, Wherever you might be on, in that process, wherever you might be, God's going to use it. So here, here's a question for you. I just want to throw it out there, and you can call the listener line, 888 914-9149. Has this ever happened to you? Maybe you, you were a new convert at one point and you were just so excited about it, you had to share. And how'd that go? Maybe you didn't feel equipped. Maybe you didn't feel like you had it all together. Do, do we ever feel that way? I, I highly doubt it. We're, we're always continually being formed and, and chiseled into that sculpted image of Christ, at least on the inside. Got to work on the outside too, believe me. But but we're always being formed. Maybe say, I, I, I don't have all the answers, but I did it anyways. How did it go for you? 888-914-9149 is the toll-free number to call on the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. But, okay, so that was, that was the first time that we meet Philip. And in, in John's Gospel, there are three more interactions that, that Philip has with Jesus that were crucial, that were really crucial. The first one is the feeding of the 5,000. This massive crowd, and by the way, of course, the 5,000 is only the men, doesn't count the women and children. We're probably looking at 20,000 people. It's like a hockey arena or a basketball arena being filled. And Jesus asks, asks Philip, and, and it even says, he asked him this to test him. He said, where can we buy enough food for all these people to eat? And Philip's response is, oh, man, 200 days wages would only give everybody just a little bite. I mean, we could... I don't know, go to Subway or something and order a bunch of stuff, but everyone's only going to get it. We have to cut it into very small pieces. Meager rations we're talking about here. But, of course, Jesus knows what he's going to do. But John, in his gospel, says he asked him this to test him. To test him. Are you going to look at this from a purely human perspective? Or are you going to forget the supernatural aspect of your calculation here? And Jesus is constantly testing us as well. He's constantly testing our faith so that it will grow. He'll pose these questions to us, not, not in the form of words necessarily, but problems will be posed to us. Not, uh, you know, trivia questions that we need to answer, but a circumstance of life. And it could be tough. And, and these things are like resistance. They're, they're like going to the gym. You're lifting weights. You're, you're using resistance bands or something. And what do these things do? The resistance helps the muscles grow. You've got to push against this weight. And this helps us to not atrophy. Our muscles don't shrink from, from disuse. And so this is how Jesus constantly tests us as well. Our faith is always being tested, whether it's the circumstances of life, whether it's a culture that's inimical to the faith. And on the Faith Explained show at 1230 Central, we're looking at St. Paul's letter to the Philippians. And, and this is a culture in Philippi, Roman Philippi, Roman colony that was totally hostile to the faith, very much like our 21st century culture in the West. And so what are the circumstances of your life that are the resistance bands or, or the weights that you've got to lift? But this is how we grow as well. And 
hey, if we never had any problems, we would never know that God could solve them. And St. Jose Maria Escrivá said this, he said, if your character and the character of everybody else around you was as soft and as sweet as a marshmallow, you would never you're on a puffy cloud, a marshmallow cloud, and you're just kind of sailing through, no problems, no difficulties. Well, you don't usually grow on those mountaintop experiences. You grow down in the valley. That's where things grow in the valley, right? Where you're down there in the dirt and you are, are fighting. And so that, that's, the, fir- that's the, the next place where we see Philip really kind of show up in the gospel. And then during Holy Week, he comes up again. After Jesus enters Jerusalem, the triumphal, triumphal entry on Palm Sunday, there are some Greeks who approach Philip. And, of course, it says that he is from Bethsaida in Galilee, and, and these Greeks come up to him, and they're like, hey, we want to see Jesus. And, and Philip goes to Andrew, and then the two of them go together to Jesus, and they kind of bring this request to him. And it's really, really intriguing how this happens, actually. And, and I just want to share with you this this little passage here. This is in, in John chapter 12. And uh, this is what happens here. Do, 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 do. Uh, it says, Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and said to him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew, Andrew went with Philip, and they told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life loses it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there shall my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. So this is, he goes on speaking about his death. And so this this moment of these Greeks wanting to see Jesus, that kind of just makes Jesus realize, oh, this is the time. The time has now come because his mission is for the whole world. It's for Jew and Greek, ultimately. And, and that's what St. Paul did. He always went first to the synagogue, and then he went to everybody else because that's how God's message reaches the world. And so th- this is it. Jesus says, now, now the hour has come for, for me to be glorified here. And so it's a very key moment in the gospel the next time that we see Philip. And then the last time is at the Last Supper, at the first Mass. Jesus talks about uh, knowing the Father, seeing the Father. And he, this is a, an incredible uh, speech that Jesus gives at the Last Supper. And Philip says, hey, J- Jesus, just show us the Father and that will be enough for us. That's all we want. We want to see the Father. And Jesus says, hey, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. And I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. So you got to hand it to Philip. Philip kept wanting to go deeper. He wanted more. He wanted more information. He wanted a better experience of God. And so he kept pushing for that. And that's that's a good example for us as well, not to be complacent. I want to, I want to see the face of God. <laughs> Who doesn't? I mean, this is ultimately the goal, right? And Jesus gives him a little bit of intel on the incarnation. Hang on here. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father in a certain sense, because I am the human face of God. I'm God become man. And so God the Son, yes. But if you were to see God walking around and talking and acting, that would be me, because that's exactly what happened. 
God becoming human, so that we might have this example to follow. Not just so that he can save us from our sins, but we have to recapitulate the life of Jesus in our own lives. We have to be little Christ. That's what the word Christian really means. You're listening to the K.O. Clark Show, 888-914-9149. And so the fact that Philip kept wanting to go deeper, that, that gave him the foundation that he needed as he went out to evangelize the pagans who, who didn't know Christ. And they would be asking him questions. And they wouldn't like what he heard. And he, he was, in fact, crucified, according to tradition as well. And so what gave him the strength to endure that? The fact that he went deeper with, with God. But this question he's asking, really, it's, it's so important for all of us. Show us the Father. That will be enough for us. What he's really asking for is the beatific vision, this vision of God. That's what, that's what heaven is all about. And I remember... Um, reading the writings of, a, of an evangelical author named Max Lucado. And he, he wrote uh, one time about um, his favorite childhood memory of seeing his father, greeting his father whenever he came home from work. And he said his mother was a nurse and she would work at the hospital, the evening shift. And there was this kind of 30-minute period when she had to go to work and he and his brother would have to kind of stay in the house till his dad got home at 3.30. And so, strict instructions, you cannot leave the house until dad gets home. So they would kind of sit on the couch, they'd watch cartoons, and they'd always have sort of one ear attuned to dad's car coming up the driveway. And Max said, hey, even the best Daffy Duck cartoon is no match. I mean, as soon as we hear hear dad's car, we're running. And he says, quote, I can remember running out to meet dad and just getting swept up in his big and often sweaty arms. As he carried me towards the house, he'd put his big brim straw hat on my head and for a moment i'd be like a cowboy we'd sit on the porch he'd take off his oily work boots because they were never allowed in the house and i'd put them on and for a moment i'd be a wrangler then we'd go indoors and he'd open up his lunch pail and any leftover snacks which he always seemed to have were for my brother and me to split up it was great boots hats and snacks what more could a five-year-old want but but suppose for a minute that that's all i got suppose my dad rather than actually coming home, just sent some things home. Boots for me to play in, a hat for me to wear, snacks for me to eat. Would that be enough? Maybe so, but not for long. Soon the gifts would lose their charm, and soon, if not right away, I'd start asking, where's dad? I want dad himself. So even a five-year-old, he writes, knows that it's the person, not the presence that make a reunion special. It's not the frills, it's the Father. And imagine if God made us an offer like that. Imagine if God said to us, I will give you anything you desire, perfect love, eternal peace, you'll never be afraid, you'll never be alone, no confusion will enter your mind, no anxiety, no boredom. You'll never lack for anything, no sin, no guilt, no rules, no expectations, no failure, you'll never be lonely, you'll never hurt, you'll never die. Only one catch. You will never see my face. Would you take that deal? Neither would I. It's not enough. It's not enough. Who would want heaven without God? Heaven would not be heaven without God. And so this is what we're looking for. This is what St. Augustine talked about. Our hearts are restless until they rest in him. We've got to have him. Only when we find him will we be satisfied. Only when we see the face of God will we be satisfied? And this is exactly what Moses did, right? Moses, 
He wanted to see God. He had so many gifts from God. He, he got to see the plagues. He got to part the, the Red Sea with his staff. He, he got all this stuff. But he said, I want to see you. I want to see you. And, and he, would speak, he would speak with Moses in the tent as a man speaks with his friend. And when we did the Exodus series on the Faith Explained, you can check it out uh, in the archives. Nobody knew God like Moses did at that point. But it wasn't enough even for Moses just to talk with God like that. He, he said, show me your glory. It's another way of saying, show me your face. And the stuff he got from his heavenly father wasn't enough. He wanted to see the father. And so he kind of said, well, all right, I'll, I'll do what I can here. I'll put you in the cliff and I'll pass by. My glory will pass by and I'll hide you. No one can see my face and live, but you can catch the backside of my glory as I pass by. And that's going to have to be enough for now <laughs> because uh, unmediated, you, you can't, you can't handle it. <laughs> like Jack Nicholson said, in a few good men, you can't handle the truth. And, and so this is, this is one of the points of the incarnation that, that when we were looking at, at Jesus Christ, we're, we're seeing God and, and the, hu- the humanity veils the divinity. And if we're going to see the divinity, if we're going to see God face to face, we're going to see the father. We're going to experience him face to face. We can't get there without dying. <laughs> we can't get there without dying. And, and this, is, this is ultimate union with God. We, like my friend Cardinal Collins says, we, we don't tell kids at their first communion, this is really dress rehearsal for death. Because they're, they're young, they're kids, they're just starting out. But really, this is the ultimate union with God that we're all looking for in heaven. And, and that's why the Mass is heaven on earth. So th- this is incredible. We can only be satisfied with God. That's why Philip was correct, absolutely bang on when he said, Lord, show us the Father. That's all we need. That's all we'll ever need. It's K.O. Clark Show on Relevant Radio, 888-914-9149. We'll be right back. the faith so you can explain it to others it's the kale clark show on relevant radio and the relevant radio app hey welcome back to the program 888-914-9149 is the number to call toll free to talk to me on the kale clark show we're talking about the fact that it's the feast day of saints philip and james and then which James is it? That's, that's the question. There are a lot of guys named Philip and a lot of guys named James. Now, the other Philip, by the way, is Philip the Evangelist, who is one of the original deacons of the church. Not the same guy as Philip the Apostle. Now, Philip the Evangelist, he was the guy who, of course, talked to the Ethiopian eunuch, who was basically the minister of finance of Ethiopia, and explained to him what he was reading in the book of Isaiah and how it's all about Jesus. So he was like, oh, okay, I want to get baptized. But that was a different Philip. And the same with James. There are a lot of different guys named James running around. And so who are we dealing with today in terms of today's feast day? Well, this is James the Less. And he was called James the Less probably because, well, James the Greater, by the way, is who he's often compared and contrasted to. James the Greater would be the, the son of Zebedee. James and John, the two Zebedee brothers, the Zebedee and Sons Fishing Company. And very often in the ancient world, you'd be called the less if you had the same name. 
they, they always had to use a nickname because James is a very common name and they didn't really have last names. So it was the son of Alpheus. And that's who a lot of people think this is. There's James, the son of Alpheus. Okay, is this the guy? Unclear, it might be the same guy. But they would often say, okay, you're James the Greater, maybe because you're taller, or maybe because you're older, you're more in some way. Maybe you're bigger, I don't know. Maybe James the Less was a little skinnier. At any rate, whether it's years, height, size, I'm not sure, but James the Greater was one of the Zebedees, and James the Less is the guy who we're talking about today. I think it's probably the same James who is known as the quote-unquote brother of the Lord, also the author of the letter of James, uh, the Bishop of Jerusalem. Now, was he an actual son of Mary? No. <laughs> and I kind of went over this in, in great detail uh, on the Faith Explained. We also covered the letter to James. Uh, it was called Bonding with James. Get it, James Bond? I know, I know. I work hard on this stuff, but uh, I'll be here all week, folks. Holiday in ballroom. Salon B. At any rate... Um, we, we talked about James's relationship to Jesus. Was he, in fact, a son of Mary? No. Mary's ever virgin. But there's basically you know, four ways to look at this. The, the secular way to look at who this guy is. In the secular world, they, they don't believe in the supernatural life or, or the miracles are possible in some ways. And, and so they actually think that all of the guys who are mentioned as the brethren of the Lord are, in fact, full brothers. In other words, they think they're all children of Mary and Joseph, Jesus, but also James, Joseph, Simon, Jude, and then a couple sisters as well that are mentioned, Salome and Mary. Now, the Protestant view, and, I, and again, there are many Protestant views, so I don't want to generalize too much, but generally speaking, in the Protestant world, James would be viewed as a half-brother. In other words, that, you know, Mary, of course, gave, uh, conceived and gave birth to Jesus, uh, whose father is God, obviously conceived by the Holy Spirit. But then these other kids were natural children that she had with Joseph. That's how they would put it. Uh, that's not, in fact, correct. Uh, there's nothing in the New Testament, by the way, that says that these people are other children of Mary. It, it's just simply how your tradition takes the biblical text and, and runs with it. Um, the question is, what's the right tradition on this? Well, the Orthodox Churches of the East, and also uh, the Eastern Wing of the Catholic Church, Eastern uh, Rite Catholics, they, they tend to view uh, these other brothers, quote-unquote, and sisters, as step-brothers and sisters. In other words, there's a tradition that in the East that Joseph was, in fact, married before, and his wife had passed away. And he was kind of getting up there, he was a little bit older. He need not be in his 70s or 80s or anything like that, or beyond, life expectancy was very short in the ancient world. If you were 50 years old, you were doing really, really well. You've lived a very, very long life. So the high priest was probably Caiaphas about in his 50s when he condemned Jesus to death. So all these movies where he's got this really long beard, white hair, probably not the case. Although you can have white hair in your 50s, that's for sure. I've got a few as well in my beard. But having said that, this idea is that Joseph's wife had passed away. These are children of his from his previous marriage. And he takes Mary under his wing as a guardian. Uh, he marries her, but not with any kind of romantic intent at all, even before God intervened and said, hey, you're going to give birth to the Messiah. Uh, he did that as her guardian, and she was a consecrated virgin who was going to essentially serve at the temple. And there, there are all these Eastern traditions that 
She was dropped off at the temple at the age of 11. This is in the Proto-Evangelium of James, by the way, another early church document. Did James himself write it? I don't think so, but uh, that's another tradition. At any rate, that, that's another explanation that they are stepbrothers, stepsisters. And in the western part of the church, in, in the Roman rite, in the, what's called, in general, the, the Roman Catholic Church, of course, all, the entire church is the Roman Catholic Church, but in the west, in the Roman rite, this, this idea that they are cousins uh, came to be the dominant explanation. In other words, these kids are children of another Mary, a Mary of Clopas, to be exact, who is married to a guy named Clopas. And that's who they are. And, of course, uh, Mary only have has the one child, and that's Jesus. So she is the mother of only one son, who was conceived by God himself. And so that's just a little brief rundown of, of the different possibilities, but James is not a son of Mary. But we do know this. He, he wasn't necessarily a believer in Jesus uh, during his, his earthly life, wasn't necessarily... In, according to some, buying into it. That's why there's this, there's this special resurrection appearance that Jesus makes to James after the first Easter. And so, um, if you look at today's readings, the first one was from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This is an ancient creed of the church. Uh, in the first few verses of 1 Corinthians 15, it's a great chapter on the resurrection. And it is a creed that St. Paul is quoting. It's very much like the Apostles' Creed. There are all these little creeds in the New Testament. I feel the need, the need for creed, to uh, misquote Top Gun there. And this is what St. Paul says. He says, this is the creed here, I handed on to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas, then to the Twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at once, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. After that, he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one born abnormally, he appeared to me. And so, James is specifically mentioned there in that creed in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, a special resurrection appearance for James. And so, whatever, whatever he needed, you know, Jesus gave it to him and strengthened him. And then, of course, uh, he went on to become a very, very key figure uh, in the early church. Uh, St. Paul visits him. Uh, we hear about this in Galatians. Uh, Paul, of course, had kind of a different conversion experience. Uh, he didn't know Jesus in his earthly life, personally. He had already ascended into heaven. He's on the road to Damascus. He's anti-Christian. He's trying to arrest and kill members of the early church. And Jesus reveals his truth to him uh, on the Damascus Road, uh, light from heaven. He's blinded. He's, he falls down. Uh, whether he was riding a horse or not, he was quite literally lo- knocked off his high horse. Now, there's no horse in the, in the scriptures. It is in paintings. But, but at any rate, uh, he has to make sure that the Jesus that he met is the same Jesus that is being preached by the early church. So he goes to Jerusalem and hangs out with Peter and James for 15 days. He's, he hangs out with Peter for 15 days. James is there too. Then he makes another visit later on. You can read it all about this in Galatians. And he uses a very, very interesting Greek word to explain what he was doing there. It's the word historio, which essentially means he's looking for history here. He's not just shooting the breeze. He's excavating history. He wants to find out about the earthly ministry of Jesus because he didn't know about that. 
He didn't know about that because, again, when Paul met him, he had already ascended into heaven. So this idea of James and what happened to him, uh, he was martyred. And Clement of Alexandria uh, calls him James the Just. He, he was very, very deep into, he was very, very faithful to uh, the laws of Moses. And he, and he kind of tried to reach his fellow Jews with the truth about Jesus being the Messiah. He didn't really reach out to the Gentiles. That was kind of Paul's thing and Peter's thing as well, of course. And we, we talked about this at length in our series on James. And James was put to death, according to early church historians, by the Sanhedrin, the very group that condemned Jesus to death in the year 62 AD. Now, here's how it happened. He was thrown off of a tower of the temple. Now, the temple mount, there's all these like different sections of the temple. It was a pretty big building, pretty big complex. And so he was thrown off of one of the towers. And if that wasn't enough, for good measure, they then stoned him. And then they clubbed him to death. So it was triply bad in terms of the martyrdom. And what did they use for the club? Well, some people think they used a fuller's brush. And that's what he did for a living before he, you know, and some, he probably did it for a living even after he became the Bishop of Jerusalem because like Paul, who was a tent maker, he had a job. He was making tents. Um, that's how he supported himself. He, he didn't take money from the church for his salary. He could have, but he didn't. He chose not to. He worked for a living to, to be an example to the believers. And James as well, his profession was that he would be a fuller. And what would he do? He would take sheep wool that was sheared off of the sheep and he would kind of turn it into stuff he could actually wear, stuff that was usable. And sheep wool is very, very rough. You can't just make a sweater out of it. You've got to use the brush. You've got to smooth it out. And there's all these processes which are, yeah, a little, little gross. I, I don't know if I should mention this or not, but they would actually dip the sheep wool in urine, apparently, in order to make it soft. Okay, I don't know. I'm not going to speculate i've never done that with my clothing but uh, uh just use bounce uh anyways but he then then he'd take the brush and kind of smooth it out and, and that's apparently what they used using the tools of his trade to, to kill him to add insult to injury uh that's what that's what happened to him apparently and that's why when you see paintings of james he's often holding this club this this fuller's brush if you will and so at any rate that's what's going on here. And what's cool about James is that if, if Philip was the guy who really asked a lot of questions, James was the guy who, who said, you know, your actions are really, really important as well. And in his letter, he talks about this so much, about the, the, how faith and works work together. And then Martin Luther, who started the Protestant Revolution, really did not like the letter of James. He called it an epistle of straw, as you know. Uh, he, he just didn't buy it. Because it really conflicted with his theology, right? And, and Luther was all about salvation by faith alone. But this is what James says here. What is a profit, my brethren, if a man says he has faith but has not works? Can his faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and in lack of daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what does it profit? So faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Hey, show me your faith apart from your works, and I, by my works, will show you my faith. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. So just to intersperse there, uh, a little comment here. The demons know the right theology. It's not about just knowing the right answer to the question. They know who Jesus is, and whenever Jesus casted out a demon, he, they would say, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Yeah, and Jesus would say, 
Be quiet. Shut up and get out. You're not my PR team, okay? Then James continues on here. Do you want to be shown, you foolish fellow, that faith apart from works is barren? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered his son Isaac upon the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by works. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. Now, this is the key verse here. James 2.24, you see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. So, right there, that, that verse, which is the word of God, it's the scripture, it's totally contrary uh, to Luther's point of view. And then he talks about some other examples as well. Rahab the harlot uh, helped the spies, sent them out another way. For the, he says, for the body, as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so faith apart from works is dead. So, the faith expresses itself, if it's real, uh, through deeds, through actions, through doing the will of God. And that's what Jesus said as well. That's what Jesus said as well. His, his relative Jesus. He was, if he was a cousin, if he was a, you know, if, 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 whether he was a cousin or a son of Joseph from, from his wife who had passed away before, it doesn't matter. I think at some level he was related to Jesus. And so he knows the teaching of Jesus very, very well. And Jesus said in the Gospel of Matthew, he said this, that not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. you got to do the will of God. That's what James reminds us of. It's not a pop quiz. Salvation is not a quiz. Do you know the right answer? The demons know the answers, but they're not in because their, their will was to be disobedient. And so it's something that we really have to keep in mind here as we continue on our Catholic journey. You're listening to the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Got to take another quick break. I'd love to hear your phone calls. Love to hear your take. 888-914-9149. We'll be right back. This is the Kale Clark Show, giving you the confidence you need to bring the faith into everyday life. Welcome back to the program. 888-914-9149 is the number to call talk to me. You've got a couple lines open right now. Excellent time to call in. 888-914-9149. You can also follow me on Twitter at Kale Clark, C-A-L-E, Clark with an E. Some of you have checked in to see if I'm okay at the Leafs loss last night. It's okay. It's only game one. It's a long series. Long series. So uh, I'm not worried. I'm not worried. But uh, uh, one, one thing that we should be doing probably is watching less TV, even if it's sports, and getting out there and getting our bodies moving. Uh, I had a uh, breakfast with a friend of mine the other day who I hadn't seen in, in many, many months. And he said, hey, Kaylee, you look like you've lost some weight. And I, maybe I have. I, I, I don't weigh myself all the time. Uh, maybe I have. And I said, look, if I, if I have, it's probably because I'm walking a lot more now. We have two dogs now. And I've been trying really hard to, to walk a lot. And, you know, maybe not, uh, you know, less less beer um uh, my guilty as charged here during the pandemic i don't know if this happened to you but this happened to me you're locked down there's not much to do you can't really see anybody you're just kind of hanging out at home and you're tempted to maybe have one and uh yeah listen i'm not talking about you know drunkenness that's a that's a sin right that's a, a very grave sin but maybe uh you know one uh, a little too often if you know what I'm talking about. I opened up the garage one day and I had, 
I don't know, I had a lot of cans, a lot of bottles to return for my deposit back, you know, the two cents or whatever that they give you. And I was like, oh, this is, this is a lot more than, than usual. And so maybe I need to eat better, drink better things, uh, maybe get my body moving a little bit. Last year, we had a, a, a physician come in, an ER physician at Relevant Radio. And uh, yeah, it wasn't any emergency. He came to talk to us about, well, maybe it's an emergency, about the fact that, hey, a lot of you guys need to get in shape. The average American is not in shape. Some people are, of course, but let, let's face it. You look around, people are not in the greatest of shape. And so if we all had to be conscripted into a war or something, you know, that'd be, that'd be <laughs> not, not a great looking fighting force, let's put it that way. So how can we, how can we do better? He said, look, you've got to move. You're, you're made to move. Your body is made to move. And now that it's springtime, let's, let's think about some ways that we could maybe get outside more and more. And one easy way to do that is... You don't have to run the Boston Marathon. You don't have to run the Hawaii, you know, Ironman Triathlon or anything like that. You could just try going for a walk. And there, there, there's, there are six ways that you can do this. I read an article about this in the New York Times. Six ways that you can actually take a daily walk and make it a bit of an adventure. Because I know a lot of you guys are saying, it's boring. I don't want to do it. I don't have time. It stinks. You know, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, get, maybe, but some of you love walking. Some of you guys love getting out in nature, but I kind of have to with, with these dogs. They do need walks. And so that's good for me. I have to exercise whether I like it or not. But uh, Emily Pennington uh, wrote a piece in the New York Times about six ways that you can level up your daily walk. And so here's number one. Uh, one thing you can try is, and I, I'm not going to do this. I'm just going to say this right now. I'm going to fess up here. I'm not going to do this, but the first thing she recommends is try Nordic walking. Now, what is Nordic walking? Uh, it was originally developed in Finland. Maybe you've seen people do this. It was, it was kind of invented as a way to train cross-country skiers during the summertime. And this is where you probably see people from time to time walking with poles, like they look like ski poles. Um, they have rubber tips on them. And the whole idea is that you're supposed to engage your whole body while you're walking, your core muscles, your arms. And it's kind of like you're hiking along even city streets with these Nordic poles. I'm not doing that. I'm sorry. I, uh, I do think it looks goofy. Other people are like, hey, man, don't mock my Nordic poles. They, they're really good for my, my full body workout. And, and it is true, actually. If you, if you do try it, I don't know, maybe I can be convinced. But it, apparently what this does is it's, it's, it gives you a 22% increase in calorie expenditure. You'll burn more calories. You can consume 23% more oxygen, kind of gets the blood flowing. The more oxygen your body can consume, the more it can generate energy during your workout. So you can get really high-tech, very expensive walking Nordic poles. Uh, companies like Black Diamond make them. But wherever you get, if you do want to try this, it doesn't really matter what brand you're using, just as long as you're kind of doing it with, right, uh, with the proper technique. Um, and so they actually interviewed a guy who trains Nordic walkers. How about that? And he says that your focus should be on the fact that you're using anything to kind of engage your upper body. You've got to bend your elbows at a 90 degree angle, put your forearms parallel to the ground, use your triceps, press the poles into the trail behind you, push off, propel your body forward. And it actually helps your strain because if you're, if you're into hiking, if you're into walking or even running, you know that knees and ankles can sometimes be a problem with injuries. And that takes some of the strain off the lower body by using these Nordic poles. So I don't know. I maybe I'll try it. Maybe I just need to be less concerned about looking like I'm 
cross-country skiing through the city. But anyways, okay, so the second thing that, that is recommended, uh, six ways to kind of level up your walks as you should try to get out is to try to have a little fun with it. Have a little fun. And Bill Burnett, who is the director of the Life Design Lab at Stanford University, he actually wrote a book called Designing Your Life. Uh, he said that from an early age, our brains are kind of wired to develop habits through having fun. And the way that you learn things when you're a child is by through play. If you can kind of make it a playful experience, you're much more likely to stick with it and form a habit. And so he says, Here, here's some things that, that he would do. So he, he, he lives in San Francisco. And during the pandemic, he's like, oh, okay, I got to do something. I got to mix things up a little bit. So sometimes he would use his daily walk to make it a scavenger hunt. He'd look for unique things like orange flowers or, or looking for a certain type, kind of bird. He did some bird watching. And he said, you got to make it fun because the way that a lot of people do their exercises, and it's true in the era of health watches and smart watches, people are so concerned about counting their steps and just this mind-numbing, mind-numbing habit of counting your steps that, that can get kind of boring and routine. So you got to bring some curiosity to the table, you know, Go try to find a, a Blue Jay or a Cardinal. That's what Jim would look for, producer Jim, because he's a fan of the St. Louis Cardinals. Any kind of antidote, antidote for the mundane. So, you know, try to go somewhere that you've never seen before. Uh, maybe bring your morning coffee with you in a thermos or something and drink it in a new spot every morning. I don't know. Do something fun with your walk. Number three, the third thing you can do to walk more is use props use props. Now, what, what, what do they mean by this? Well, actually, you can kind of do some weightlifting with your walk by using what's called a weighted day pack, which is essentially a backpack. And you can put some weight in it, yeah, whether it's actual little weights or stuff that weighs a lot. And the key is to use one that has a hip belt that you can kind of cinch it around your belly button because that transfers the weight into your legs while you're walking instead of causing a lot of neck and back pain when you've got this big load on your back and it's compressing your spine, you don't want that. So it's got to be set up right. But walking with sort of a, a backpack, um, a weighted day pack is a good way to do some, a little bit of weight training and bring, bring some resistance while you're walking. It can be a bit of a workout. So that's kind of cool. I'll actually put a link to this in the show notes. You can they give some step-by-step -step articles or uh, sort of directions rather about how to do this. And it's also important to have the right shoes too. Some people wear faulty footwear and, and it causes problems like over pronation of the foot. You need a good set of insoles. You don't want your foot to kind of roll over or roll inward. And uh, if you have flat feet, you've probably experienced this. And so there's, there's lots of products out there that you can, you can get. Um, uh, there's a brand called Superfeet. They make these uh, really cool insoles that can support the arch of your foot. So, okay, just a couple more things you can do. Six ways you can level up your walk is number four, multitask. Why do you just have to go for a walk? Why not just do something while you're walking? You can do a meeting, a walking meeting. Steve Jobs, the founder of Apple Computer, he was very famous for doing this, a walking meeting. And sometimes it's good to get out of the get out of the office and um, and get walking, and it can kind of stimulate a different way of thinking. Uh, maybe get out of the box a little bit. So you can do that. You can take a Zoom meeting while walking. You can also get some steps in where you least expect it. And this is what this doctor was telling us at Relevant Radio. Uh, don't park right next to the door. If you can, if you're driving into work or something, park way out the edge of the parking lot and you'll get a bit of a walk in 
when you're walking into the building. And I noticed people doing that the last uh, couple of times I was in the building. I saw people actually doing this. They're really taking this guy's advice to heart. They're parking far away, get some steps in, take the stairs instead of the elevator if you can. Anything you can do. When you're picking up your kids from school, you can park a few blocks away. Maybe park five or six blocks away and walk to the school and then walk with your kid back to the car. And then you get 10 or 15 minutes to walk with them and kind of decompress. Maybe they'll open up to you a little bit, get, you know, talk about their day, have some focused time, um, get rid of the devices. You're not looking at the iPad, or at least your kid is in the back of the car. Maybe you're actually talking to them. That's, that's not a bad thing to do. Number five, you can crank up the tunes. Crank up the tunes. Some people like to listen to music while they walk. I, I would just say be very careful with that, uh, especially... Uh, if you're in the city in an urban environment, you don't want to get hit by a car and you don't want to be, you know, you don't want, you don't want to get mugged either. So be aware of your surroundings for sure. Um, but some people like podcasts. It's a great way. I, I actually do a lot of prayer while I'm walking with the dog. I just, I listen to meditations. Uh, it's a form of uh, sort of guided prayer. Uh, it's a really good way to get some conversation with God in there on a walk as well. And sometimes just being out in nature kind of adds that a little bit. And then the last thing, I'm going to have to explain this a little bit. I didn't write this, but uh, number six is embrace the fartlek. Embrace the fartlek. F-A-R-T-L-E-K. What is that? It's probably not what you think. It, it's actually a Swedish word, which means speed play. Fartlek. So what is this? It's interval training. It's where you walk for a little bit, and then maybe you walk really, really fast for a little bit, and then you slow down, and then you speed up again. And, and it's, it's kind of a, a way to uh, shock your body a little bit. Um, anyways, you can embrace that if you want. Embrace the fartlek. Um, walk slow, and then walk fast. High intensity, low intensity, vary it up a little bit. You can read more about it in the article. Put it in the show notes, relevantradio.com. The Relevant Radio app is where to get that. So six ways to level up your walk. And producer Jim says he actually uses Superfeet in all of his shoes. Wow. I've never, I've never heard of this product before, Jim, but it's apparently helping you. Really good stuff. Okay, Helps all right. the arches. The, there you go. There you go. You don't want to... Don't want fallen arches, you know. And for me, I I want the golden arches, but maybe I should cut back a little bit and do some more walking. Anyways, it's been great to walk with you through this past hour. This is the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Jim Shaper produced. Patrick Alog took your phone call. Stay tuned to Relevant Radio. Take it away, Michaela. Thank you for listening to my daddy. <laughs>